that spiritual insects was not part of this course up until two years ago, but we're requested to include it because um, we were supposed to cover this as a part of data management. It's not the idea of those responsible for our curriculum was that we shouldn't just teach you pure database, which is stuff that we've done so far. Since we're calling it data management, it's important for the curriculum to include text. They want us to cover this set of slides. So, and by the way, this set of slides is also examinable, just in case there was any ambiguity, uh, but anyway, that's not really, my objective here is not to really stress you, but rather to give you an understanding of how search works in data. And over here, we have an example of um, uh, text data that they could be tweets, for example. So we have the thread ID, the post ID, the post date time, the user ID, and the username. Fine, and these are structured data. Okay, these columns here in red are structured data. Fine. But here, the content is unstructured. And over here, you can see that this is just text that could be any short or any long, some in caps, some in small caps, some in just small letters. Okay. So the question is, how do you search through content like that? And when we say, how do you search in content like that? Um, one example would be finding old posts, which um, include the word window, and they include either glass or door, and at the same time, they don't include Microsoft. So in other words, we care about posts that talk about windows like that, not like the Microsoft Windows, okay? Uh, so, the search example that we have given here is not a search within documents, it's a search within web pages, but it's very similar to the type of search that we're going to try to do here, which is that you guys are more familiar with Windows type, uh, sorry, Google type interface. Okay, so uh, let me see if I can leave any of these doors open. Because with the, with the food and everything in here, it's actually smelling quite bad. <laughs> okay, let's hope that will help. Okay, so if you were to store posts like the ones that I showed in the previous slide, here. If I were to store them into a table, then what I would do is that I would I would create in SQL a table like that. So these are my standard first columns here. Third ID, post ID, post type, user ID, username, fine, stuff we've seen so far. But the content would be free text. Okay? So I could create a table like that, and if I would want to find those posts that include the word Windows, do not include the word Microsoft, and include either door or glass, then I could simply be running this select statement. Okay? So my answer would be something like this, but this answer is not really very helpful for a user for a number of reasons. If you have thousands of documents that are matching these keywords, all thousands of these documents will be part of your result, and SQL will just present them to you in whatever order, okay? 
So this is not very helpful. We would want a more user-centric way of answering text queries so that the most relevant documents will appear on top and we're going to go down in decreasing order of relevance, right? So this way I want to motivate to you that SQL is not the best way to deal with uh, documents. As a matter of fact, it's very rare that you will see somebody organizing a document collection, let's say uh, the electronic document library or the SMU library, okay? It's very rare to see them organized using uh, SQL. So I'm going to show you here uh, how we can represent documents as vectors. And later I will show you two similarity measures so that you can find this relevance degree, like how relevant is a document to my user's query, so that I can then sort the documents in decreasing relevance order and present them to my user. So my first step towards uh, my first step towards representing documents as vectors, and for those of you who don't remember what vectors are, I'm going to show you an example of fresh in your memory, but you've definitely seen vectors before. Anyway, our first step is to represent documents as bags of words. This means that we do not care about the order of the words within the document, we just care we just treat the document as a set of terms, where every term is a word, okay? Now, before we even start talking about representing a document by vectors, there is uh, a process that we call uh, text preprocessing that we have to do on our document. And this includes three steps, all right? So these three steps we apply before we even consider Trans translating the document, transforming the document into a um, vector. So there are three steps. The first step is tokenization. That is quite intuitive. We said that we will treat the document as a type of words. So therefore, what I'm going to do is that if I take a document like that, and yes, this is a document, I know it's very small, but it is a document, okay, is to chop it down into the words that it comprises. So SMU is a university, will be broken down to SMU is a university, okay? So a token is effectively a word. For all practical purposes, um, a token is a word. Here it says a sequence. Uh, it means that uh, some words might have, might have specific name and combine together, specific meaning and combine together. Like for example, you could have um, hyperplane with a dash in between, that's a word. Or you may want to use Singapore Management University as just one token because it means just one thing. But in order not to confuse you, for our purposes, each word is a token, okay? Each word is a token. Here, anyway, we care about the general idea of the thing. We're not going to become specialists uh, about text retrieval. All right, so the second step of this preprocessing before we even go into vector format is uh, stop words. Stop words are um, small words that don't bear much meaning and they're very common in documents and they don't offer any semantic meaning to my documents. Examples of that is, for example, articles, A, N, the, and so on, uh, prepositions, pronouns, these things will be removed 
from the document before we even try to represent their content as vector. Why? Because these words semantically do not offer much into describing the contents of the document. So over here we're having a link uh, with some common stop words, which if you think it, we're going to be directed into um, a commonly used set of stop words. You can see them here, the default English stop word is right. Clearly, depending on the purposes of your application, the purpose of your document collection. Uh, your stop words could be slightly different. Um, but, you know, for our purposes, we're going to use the bunch that is directed at this link. Uh, we will not expect you to memorize stop words, okay? Just so that if you're given a list of stop words, you know how to remove them. Now, we said we've done tokenization, then we've done stop word removal. Finally, we're going to do stemming. Stemming means that we're going to map words to their root word. So if you have a, a, a word in, in plural, you're going to replace it with a singular form. If you have different forms of a verb, you're going to re replace it with a verb in its original form. Same for here, you're going to replace it with link. Bunches of words that have similar, that have similar meaning will be uh, replaced by their stem, which is not necessarily an actual word in English, right? It might be a prefix of these words. So, how exactly stemming algorithms work is beside the point of our slides here, okay? But the important thing is to understand the general notion that if I have words like Singaporean, Singapore, Singapore apostrophe S, they all are talking about the same thing. So what a stemmer would do is to basically represent each of these three words with just Singapore without the E. Singapore without the E, right? So, so that related words are mapped to just one stem, okay? And this brings down the possible types of stems, the possible number of stems we could have uh, in your vocabulary. Over here, we're giving you uh, an online demo for that. So over here, um, you can see also that there are multiple uh, algorithms for stemming we could use. One of the most common algorithms is orders algorithm. We do not expect you to know how exactly stemming works, okay? But to know what is its purpose and how its outcome will look like. So here they have a funny sentence here, stemming is funnier than Obama says the sushi lab of computer scientists. They came about this, but anyway, if I stand this, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get this output here. Alright? So so the computer it replaced it with just this stem compute. So if you will have their computation, computer uh, computes like a verb, you're gonna have you're gonna have it chopped it down to just its stem. Okay. Now, for example, here you could have data management. And uh, if I stem, it uh, chops it, it gives data as is, but the management chops to uh, manage to G. Over here, if you, if you said data manager instead of management, 
Okay, the stem will be exactly the same. And they're and big. Okay, so the stem is exactly the same. I repeat, the reason for replacing different words with their stems is so that we can capture the essence of uh, differently written words which, however, convey similar meaning. So, our pre-processing of the documents includes three steps. Tokenization, which in this example we do in these four words. Stop word removal, here the stop words are easily made and they go away. And then eventually, stemming. So, SMU stays as this, but the university is chopped down to its stem. Okay? So, this pre-processing is necessary to apply to each and every document that we're going to put in our collection. So we can effectively clean the structures. This is another preprocessing example that uh, after tokenization, you're going to have these different tokens. Every word becomes a token. When you remove the stop words, which in this case is two here and two here, you're going to be left with these ones. Which then, if you copy this text and paste it into your quarters algorithm stemming, if you stem this, you're going to get this version of the document. And now this version, this eventual version of the document is ready for us to map it into a vector. And we'll see how we're going to do this. But before we do this, I would like you guys to take three minutes to consider these two documents, D1 and D2, and apply this processing uh, three-stage procedure. Tokenization, stopword removal according to this list of stopwords, and stemming it so that we get the stems of these two documents. So take three minutes to do this page. For the list of softwares, that's the link, or your stemmer is that one.
I'm having four very short filters. You can see them up there. Okay. Um, so obviously, in my third document matrix, I'm going to have four columns, one for each document. And over here, my index terms, meaning my vocabulary, um, assume that it includes only six words, right? Actually, we'll do much more, we'll just show the relevant ones. Just for keep the slide short, right? Actually, in reality, this list will be going on. It really covers the vocabulary of words or terms that you care about. If you look at SMU, and you look at document three, this two here means that term SMU appears in document three two times. Okay? And indeed, I have two occurrences of the term SMU. If you look at this uh, term frequency, it tells you that word in doesn't appear at all in document three, which is indeed the case, and so on. All right? So that is already one way that term document matrix already offers us one way to represent a document as a vector. If you simply represent document one by this bunch of six term frequencies, one, 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 zero, 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 then that's already our first possible representation. Later we'll see another one, but now, for starters, this is one possible representation of a document as a vector. Document one is going to be this vector, document two is going to be this vector, and so on. Yes? For Because actually our stemmer, if you put the word leave inside and the like inside, it will leave them as separate steps. And the reason is because we do not try to blindly lexicographically chop words to common prefix. We're trying to capture their, their essence. And like is a completely different word than leave. The idea of the stemmer is that it shouldn't ruin the actual meaning of the words. As a matter of fact, it's just supposed to contest it. So if you, go, if you have the words walked, walking, walks, they all are talking about walk, right? So it's going to merge all those things and replace them with just walk, all right? But the idea is that live and like do not mean the same thing. You're not supposed to do a prefix matching. No, On no, the contrary. No, yes. What I mean is, uh, why is live not just like? Oh, okay, because it's more intuitive to give you put in your stemmer probably will make it LIV, you're right. Actually, in reality, here we'll have stems, but it's not very intuitive to have something like retarded lingo over there, so we better leave it like that, okay? But imagine that this will be the, the, the already pre-processed documents after tokenization, after stop word removal, after stemming. Let's imagine that. It's just going to make the, the example make sense, right? But actually, these documents here should have been pre-processed. Let's assume they are, okay? For example, this is an A would go away, and that's why they don't appear down here. But anyway, assume that each token, your stemmer, didn't manage to change at all. In reality, however, this would be the vocabulary of your stems, okay? It's just, it's difficult to illustrate in that case, a little counterintuitive. So let's just leave us this. Are we okay with this? Sorry, Mr. your question. So, already here with the term document matrix, we're getting an idea that we would represent document four as this bunch of six numbers. So, actually, we already have a preliminary representation of documents as vectors. 
Now, why do we want to represent the documents as vectors? Because, as we will see later, vector representations allow for similarity that is partial, meaning that it's not a Boolean value, is it similar or not similar. But they can tell us, yes, it is similar to a degree of 0 0.8 in a scale from 0 to 1. This means a relative similarity score. Whereas SQL, what it was doing, it was binary. Does it include these words, or does it not include these words, right? It was a 0 or 1. Well, here, where we need the, the vector representation in order to be able to capture in-between Grayson situations of partial similarity. Okay? One document doesn't have to be 100% similar to a query in order to do important there. So that's why we wanted to model our um, uh, documents as vectors so that a search engine that works on uh, our database can actually, when we give, him, give it a query like Singapore Management and Kiriakos, these three keywords, it can actually sort, it can rank uh, the results in decreasing relevance order. Number one would be the document that has the highest similarity score. Number two would be the second highest similarity score. Number three would be the third similarity score and so on which is very similar to what Google does. Obviously, over there, semantics and similarity measures are different, but it's very similar to what Google does. And it has multiple pages of results for you guys, but it gives you the websites that are most relevant to your query first, okay? And source them for you in decreasing order of similarity. So something similar we're trying to do here. And moving from documents to vectors is the first step to achieve it. I've kept talking about vectors. So, for those of you, you, you all have seen vectors, you have spoken about vectors before, but um, uh, here we'll do just a very quick recap, right? So, if I have a three-dimensional space, meaning that my coordinates are x, y, and z, a vector is actually a bunch of coordinates in this dimension. So if my dimensions are 10, then my vector is going to have 10 coordinates. Here, my dimensionality, this capital N, is just 3, okay? So each vector will be represented by 3 coordinates. 3 that corresponds to the first axis, 1 that corresponds to the y-axis, 3 that corresponds to the z-axis. So x, y, and z. Another vector could again be, in this three-dimensional space, a bunch of 3 coordinates. This is the coordinate on the x-axis, this is the um, y-coordinate, and this is the z-coordinate, okay? Now, how do these vectors look in this 3D space? So this is my 3D space and this is the origin. Each vector is represented by a, by a bar which starts at 0 and, and ends at this tip where the... Where the um, uh, coordinates of that tip are exactly the coordinates of the vector. So point 0.313 effectively is going to be exactly the tip of the blue bar here. About the red vector, again, it always starts from the origin and extends all the way up until to this tip point. And that tip point has coordinates 4, 0, 1. Okay? So this is how two vectors would look in a 3D space. Are we right with vectors? 
If I have four dimensions, then I will simply have a fourth coordinate here and a fourth coordinate here. Okay. Now, let's see um, some operators on the vectors. One of them is the length of a vector. So the length of, the, of this vector here is referring to how long, how many units long is this bar. So if you want to find the length of the vector, then all you have to do is that you would have to take the sum of squares of the coordinates. Meaning if you're talking about V1, you're going to get 3 squared plus 1 squared plus 3 squared, and then take the square root of that sum. And that will already give you, give you the length of that vector. The formula is this one. So if my vector is x, y, z, coordinate, then the square root of x squared plus y squared plus z squared. If I had another dimension k, then I would have x squared, uh, y squared, z squared plus k squared, and then the square root of the entire thing. Okay? So this is what I call the length of a vector. And the way I represent it is by these bars around the vector. So if this is my vector v1 and I put bars around it, it means I'm talking about the length of this vector. This is my notation, that's how I symbolize the length of the vector. And this is actually the formula that I just told you, applied on the coordinates of v1. 3 is its x-coordinate, y is its, uh, 1 is its y-coordinate, 3 again is its z-coordinate. So that is the formula that gives me the length of that vector. Are we okay with? Alright. Now, when we're given two, two vectors, we can define some operations between them. One of them is summation. If you do VA plus VB, the result is going to be another vector where its coordinates are going to be equal to the sum of coordinates of the other two vectors. So, over here, if you have if your first vector is this one, your second vector is that one, then the sum is going to be a new vector where the x-coordinate is going to be equal to the sum of the x-coordinates of the vectors. Its y-coordinate is going to be the sum of the y-coordinates of A and B. And z-coordinate is going to be the sum of the z-coordinates of vectors A and vectors B. Okay? So when I sum, the situation is very easy. I just take for each axis the sum of coordinates and I produce the resulting vector. Now difference, I can subtract vector B from vector A. Well, in that case, very similarly, I do that operation for each coordinate individually, okay? So from XA, I subtract XB. From YA, I subtract YB. From ZA, I subtract ZB. Once again, when I say VA minus VB, the result is another vector, okay? When I sum or subtract vectors, the result is another vector. Now, we have another operation that I call the dot product, or otherwise called the inner product. Again, this one you have seen before, before university. Okay, so when I say the dot product between VA and VB, I am taking the product of their x-coordinates, plus the product of their y-coordinates, plus the product of their z-coordinates. If I had more axes, like for example, I had a fourth axis k, I will here plus uh, the product of the k coordinates. So this thing here is not a vector. This thing here is a number now. Okay? Summation difference will give me as a result a vector. Here, the dot product 
is given in as a result in number. For the sake of notation, you should always use this uh, dot symbol for uh, dot product. Please don't use the X symbol. It is not like plain numbers where you can use either of the two. When you're talking dot product, you have to be very specific to use only this dot here. All right? Don't use the, the cross. Don't use the X one. For numbers, do whatever you like. But for vectors, it makes a difference. It's a different operator that one. Okay? So I symbolize it as VA times VB. And this is the dot product. It is a number. Here you can see an example that is relying on this previous situation. So the dot product between V1 and V2 is going to be 3 times 4 plus 1 times 0 plus 3 times 1. So overall, the IDF is defined as the log 2 of this ratio. Uh, the denominator is uh, the total number of documents in my database, and the denominator is the number of documents that include that specific term. IDF we will use as a point that tells us how significant that specific term is. Let's see whether we know how to calculate the IDF of different terms. Over here, the IDF of, of term in is log 2 5 because it is log 2 of the total number of documents, which is 5, divided by the number of documents that include that term. So you can see from here that only one document includes that term. So my IDF for that term is going to be log 2, 5 divided by 1, which means log 2, 5. Okay. If we look at this term here, universe, okay, this is just the stem again, just like we were discussing with Bryce before. Okay. So over here, it is log 2 of 5 because the number of documents is the total number of documents that I have, so log 2 of 5, divided by how many documents include that term. Since I'm talking about this term, it's included in 1, 2, 3, 4 documents. So it's going to be log 2 of 5 divided by 4, in other words, log 2 of 1.25. Here it is. Uh, let's look at this case though. Here it says that the IDF of, of uh, term SMU is 0. Is this the correct number, or is it a mistake in the slide? It says that the IDF of term SMU is zero. Is this a correct number or not? Can you apply this formula and tell me this? Soria, how would you compute that thing? I'm talking about this IDF of term SMU which on the slide appears as zero. Should it really be zero? Let's do the calculations together. Would you like to start? Five divided by six. Sorry, yeah, six. Five divided by five. Because VFI, okay. VFI is telling me, VFI is telling me how many documents include the term. Okay? It doesn't care about how many times. It cares about whether they include it. Do you see the thing here, Mishoria? I was trying to pinpoint something else. But here he says, oh, uh, BFI, uh, should it be 5 or 6? It should be 5, right? That number, that BFI, can never be greater than your, the total number of your documents anyway. Right? 
So the important thing, however, is not this. The important thing is that DFI tells you how many documents include the term. It doesn't care whether they included two or ten or twenty times. Simply tells you how many documents include the term. And from what you can see here for term SMU, these five documents, they all include that term. So DFI is not six or seven or something, it's five. Okay, so DFI is five. So sorry, it was log two of five divided by five. Plus log two of one, which he says is indeed zero. That is correct. Any number to the power of zero gives you one. Therefore, log two of one is zero. That's why this is correct. Log two of one is zero. Log ten of one is zero. Log twenty of one is zero. Okay, so that zero here is correct. All right. So I defined how to compute the IDF of the different terms in my vocabulary. The IDF I compute over my database. It doesn't care about what queries I receive or whatnot. We just compute it over the database of documents that we have. I will write with how to compute the IDF of a term. Alright, so if you're okay with this, then I will freeze that. And I will tell you now that in our document representation as vectors, we no longer take just the term frequency values, but instead we get the product of TF and the IDF of a specific term. What do I mean by that? I mean that in, in your term frequency matrix, which is this one, except for this coding, this is your term frequency matrix. When you want to represent document one as a vector, you will not have one in the first dimension. Instead, you will have one, which is the term frequency, how many times the length appears in document one, multiplied by the IDF of the respective term. That's why over here you have this log to five. So the first dimension, the first coordinate of the vector for document one is going to be log to five. It's going to be the product of the term frequency for lead times the IDF for lead. Okay, it's going to be log to five. Similarly, for this dimension here, I will not simply use the term frequency one like I did before for the cosine similarity. Instead, instead, I will multiply this term frequency with the IDF of that term. So 1 times log to 5, log to 5. Here, 1 times 0, 0. So in my new representation, because this is going to be a representation from a second different similarity measure, right? I have departed from the cosine similarity, which only use the term frequency. Now, the vector representation of my document is going to be term frequency times the IDF of that term. So this one times this one gives me that one. If you're talking about document three, for example, you're going to have two times zero, zero. One times log two, one, five, log two, one, five. One times log two, five, log two, five. So the vector representation of document three is going to be this vector here. The document representation for vector five is going to be this document here, so on. Are we okay with how I do the vector representation 
in this new similarity measure I am about to introduce to you. So that was my term frequency matrix. These are the IDF values that we saw, how we can, uh, we can compute them. This is the new matrix that's going to use, that's going to use, that's going to be used to derive the vectors for each of the documents. Now, the vector uh, values are the product of the term frequency and the respective IDF for a specific term. These are my vector representations. I'll give you a few seconds to see this because it's very important for me to understand that you understand how I derive the vector representation here. Take a few seconds, talk to the person next to you if you need to, and ask me questions.
5. So it is log 2 of 5 over 5, which means log 2 of 1. Log 2 of 1 equals 0. Okay? Log 2 of 1 equals 0. And this is the very intuition of IBF. Because the symptom appears no total minus, it says, you know what? This term is counted. I don't care about that. And by every token includes it. So, kill it. Right? Where some term that is very rare, like for example the term leaf, well, this one, you want to give it a benefit in how much it will matter in your similarity measure. Okay? So, this term, this matrix here, if we exclude this column, this matrix here is the matrix that we should be very familiar with. It is just the term frequency. It is telling me, for example, the term Singapore appears three times inside document five. That's a term document matrix, the very first one we saw, for the cosine similarity. However, in this second measure of similarity that I will show you, which is more accurate, the vector representation has to be changed by multiplying by the IDF. So for each term frequency that you see here inside this matrix, for example this one, you will have to multiply it with the respective IDF, zero. That's why over here you're going to get a zero. This value, you will have to replace it by the product of three times the respective IDF of that term Singapore. So three times log to five. Here it is, three times log to five. Okay, so that is how I will get this new matrix, and this new matrix is going to tell me what is the vector representation of each document. So the vector representation of document 5 that I will use is this, in this second similarity measure that I will teach you shortly, is this vector representation. For document 1 is this vector representation. Is that okay? So this second similarity measure that I will introduce, even the way we represent documents as vectors is different. We no longer just use the term frequency, that TF thing. We use the term frequency times the IDF of the term. It's exactly what we did. We took the term frequency and multiplied by the IDF and replaced it with this value. So this gives me a new vector representation. Okay which is better suited to the similarity measure which I'm yet to show you, okay? So now we have changed the way we represent documents as vectors and we are about to measure similarity. So from this, we moved into this. This is now my new vector representation, so this can go away, okay? And what I will tell you is that in this TF-IDF similarity, the similarity between two documents is equal simply to their dot product. It is simply equal to the sorry, it is simply equal to the dot product of two documents. If you want to see how similar that document is with that document, you simply take the dot product of this vector and this vector without any normalization in this measure. Okay? Cosine similarity required us to normalize, but that's its own deal. This is something we saw before the break. Fine, that was a similarity measure. In this new similarity measure, you simply need to take the top product of the first document and the second document you're comparing, and that already is your similarity score. Okay. So this formula, which I realized again by experience that confuses a lot of you, if it confuses you, ignore it, because that's simply 
the general form of the dot product. You guys know how to compute the dot product. That's the first exercise we did today, right? So if you want to compute the TFIDF uh, similarity between two documents, let's say document two and document three, you simply take the dot product. Here you can see it's going to be log two, one to five, times log two, one to five. Okay? Without any normalization, without any dividing by their length. No longer need to do that. Okay? So, don't be confused by the formula. This is bullet point that I had to add by experience. Don't be confused by the formula. This is simply the top product between two documents when they are represented by their TFIDF weights. Like this one. Okay? The final thing I need to tell you, actually before I go to the final thing, the final bullet point, this is slide 48. my cosine similarity defined on that vector representation, the original one. This is now the TF-IDF similarity defined in the new transformed vectors that I showed you how to represent now your documents with vectors in this model. And my similarity measure is equal simply to the dot product of the two vectors. I juxtapose this with what it used to be the cosine similarity. Cosine similarity first used a different vector representation and also, like document representation into vectors, and also require this normalization. Now, you don't normalize. You simply take the dot product of the two documents using the TF-IDF representation. And that's all. No need to normalize. This is all I taught you today, effectively. Two similarity measures. That one was the cosine similarity, and that one which is the TF-IDF similarity. Observe that the way we represent vectors here is different than the way we represent vectors here. Over here, we also multiply by the IDF of the terms. This is what I gave you time to discuss with the two matrices, right? Matrices. All right, so this formula shouldn't freak you out. Actually, it's super simple, but anyway, I won't go into the details. This is simply the dot product. You know how to compute the dot product. We've done this several times today. Are we okay with this? All right. So, finally, if we need to compute similarity to a user's query, like the user gives me a bunch of keywords, tells me, find me what are the most similar documents according to the TFIDF measure, then all I need to do is I represent the query as a vector using its TFIDF representation, meaning that I will multiply its term frequencies by their respective IDFs, so that I get a vector also for the query. That's the general idea. Even my query uh, has to be mapped into a vector. So then I simply compute the dot product between my query and each of my documents. And the one of the documents that, is the, that has the highest similarity score, the highest dot product, is going to be the most similar. That's all.
All right. So I'll give you a few seconds to possibly ask me any questions. Can I help you? Um, like when do we know which to use? Which one of the two to use? Uh, it, uh, this one for for our questions and possibly final exam will tell you which one to use. Second, um, for general intentional application, for text similarity search, this one tends to actually empirically give better results, capture best similarity. So for text. This one is better. Cosine similarity is still, however, sometimes used, okay, but it's not as popular. The thing with cosine similarity, however, is that it's much more general. So it might come in, it might find for you similarity, not necessarily only between documents, you find similarity between, generally speaking, anything that can be represented as a vector. So this is a much more general measure. When we're talking specifically about text search, which is the topic of today's class, this one is generally superior, okay? And as a matter of fact, since you're asking, I will tell you that there have been many trials that different researchers of information retrieval have tried with alternative definitions of TF and IDF. Here are alternative definitions of TF, alternative definitions of IDF, okay? So people have figured out that the form that I explained to you is the best TF-IDF um, uh, formula. Okay. Of course, if you're talking about specific kind of databases with very specific types of documents, something different might work better. But we won't go there. This is just for your information. It is not something you need to uh, to memorize or anything like that. However, if I give you a formula different than the idea that you saw here, and tell you, okay, apply this idea formula. You simply apply it to get the idea factor, and then do the TF-IDF representation. Okay. So the one that I showed you, the log 2 of D in bars divided by DFI, other studies have used different kind of um, uh, formula over there. All I want you to know is to know that there are alternatives, you don't have to memorize this. Okay. Alright, so the important thing is that here, when I have my DFI here, uh, similarity, I simply compute it as the dot product of this transformed vector. Okay. And here in this, uh, uh, in this table, we are computing the, we're showing you how to compute uh, the TF, uh, IDF similarity between the different documents that we have here. As I said, it's simply the dot product. So if you focus on, let's say, D4, which is actually also the largest similarity that you see here, it's not that it matters very much. But if you, for, if you focus on the similarity between D4 and D5, you simply need to get the dot product of that with that. So you're going to get log 2, 1 to 5 times log 2, 1 to 5, here it is, plus log 2, 2.5, 
times slope to 2.5 square grids. So this is how I compute my DF and DF similarity between document 4 and document 5. You can go ahead and apply it in the rest of the documents if you want. The rest of the rest of the documents if you want. So this is what I mean when I say that the similarity in the TFIDF case is simply the dot product of the two transformed vectors. Here are my vectors, I simply take the dot product and I have their similarity. Give me a few seconds again and ask me if there are questions, because actually this is the last slide I need to cover for today.
I don't get why the arrows are pointing to different like, rooms. There's no meaning, right? Double idea, right? Yeah, I'm just too sure that you're right. You do these three. The D D one and D two is document I and document J, right? D one, D two and D three. Oh, okay, wait, I can go. You see, I like some of them. Some, you multiply them together. That's why it's slot one point five square. Like for different different. Isn't this okay. measure I and J? Like I and J. Like how to track the? Like how to get the? Okay. Oh, sorry. What, sorry? Yeah. This I and this J, right? Yeah, that's why. Right. Thought so, too. Um, no. I Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. No. Sorry, sorry. Okay, let's see. Document 4, I. Document. And then document 5, J. Yeah, 
Yeah, all right, so uh, what did I want to say here? I wanted to say that don't be confused by this formula here or try to apply this formula. Don't bother, it's just the dot product. Don't, don't be confused, the same, don't be confused by this formula. It is just the dot product in which you told me you can calculate. I showed you examples with the vectors, some of the first exercises you solved, and you know how to calculate, calculate dot product, that's fine. Don't bother trying to apply this onto the matrix or whatnot, okay? It is just how you would put in math the idea of dot product. If you know how to compute dot product, then I'm glad. For example, uh, over here, if you want to... It says that the, the, the similarity between D1 and D2 is zero. Well, that's the dot product, right? Let's see, this is D1 and this is D2. So log to 5 times 0 plus log to 5 times 0 plus 0 times 0 plus 0 times this one plus 0 times 0 all the way. So obviously, the dot product between these two is zero. Here it is. Okay? So don't be confused by this formula. It is simply the dot product. That is why. In my edited slides, and actually I purposely changed the, the order of my slides, after each class I trained my model, and I, my internal model, and I changed the order of the slides, so don't worry, all the information you have is the same as mine. But over here, what I did is that I put in bold and blue, that you know, this is simply the dot product of the DFIDF weights of the two documents. And then I add these two uh, bullet points just to say once again that this thing here, don't get out by this, it's just the dot product. Right? It's the mathematical representation of the dot product. Don't try to take this and apply it here. You don't have to. You already know how to do dot product between two vectors. You want to find similarity between document 3 and document 4? Just take their TFIDF representation and do the dot product. You know how to do the dot product. The dot product okay? So, actually, this lecture that we have just completed now took me the full three hours for my Tuesday noon uh, class. So it really depends on how uh, many questions there are or how many things I feel that need to be clarified. I am in a pleasant position to be able to end class today. You can use for training this uh, in-class exercise, okay? You can use for training this in-class cases that gives you a bunch of uh, documents, what your vocabulary should be, how do you find term frequencies and IDF, then how do you move from this one? How do you move from this one to this one, which is a TFIDF representation of the vectors, and how inside here you can compute the TFIDF similarity. This one, I will leave it to you. You can do this in class or you can do it at home. But effectively, that's exactly what we did already with our running example. I'm concluding today's class, so you can feel free to go. But I'm going to stay back for five minutes at least. If there are questions, I'm all yours. This is your time. Okay. Okay.
Why is it Shirève Arjuna? That's it, that's it. 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 If it's the first idea being created, then it will just be zero to one. Right, because I mean, if you have a job, you must definitely have a point. I mean, if there is a, I mean, a position, a position can be created, but it does not have to be filled. Or like, a position is open. Or like, like, you know, you know, yeah, like, this thing always says, like, if a position is open, you can apply for it. And then when it's, like, maybe for the first two months, there's nobody like, coming to the shop, right? Then you'll be zero. You'll be zero to you. But then, that's the most important thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And this one, I think, is it still that one or not? This one is just a job. And then the, the idea is that the job thing can be oh. Yeah, can have